Sections 18 to 19 of How to Sing. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Ruth Golding. How to Sing by Lily Lehman. Translated by Richard Aldrich. Section 18. The Tremolo. Big voices produced by large, strong organs through which the breath can flow in a broad, powerful stream are easily disposed to suffer from the tremolo, because the outflow of the breath against the vocal cords occurs too immediately. The breath is sent there directly from the diaphragm, instead of being driven by abdominal pressure forward against the chest, the controlling apparatus from whence it, in minimal quantity and under control, is admitted to the vocal cords. Even the strongest vocal cords cannot, for any length of time, stand the uncontrolled pressure of the breath, that is, the direct breath pressure. One must learn to tense them by means of the various muscular functions. In inhaling, the chest should be raised not at all or but very little, except an exercise for the expansion of the chest is to be made of it. The pressure of the breath against the chest must be maintained as long as it is desired to sustain a tone or sing a phrase. As soon as the elastic abdominal and chest pressure ceases, the tone and the breath are at an end. Not till toward the very end of the breath, that is, of the tone or the phrase, should the pressure be slowly relaxed and the chest slowly sink. While I am singing, I must press the breath against the chest evenly, for in this way alone can it be directed evenly against the vocal cords, which action is the chief factor in a steady tone and in the only possible and proper use of the vocal cords. Control of the breath should never cease. Only in the beginning of singing does the chest, against which the breath is pushed, start to slowly inflate, reaching its greatest distension only when the breath phrase is ended. Then the chest slowly sinks. The tone should never be made too strong or too weak to be kept under control. This should be an inflexible rule for the singer. I direct my whole attention to the pressure against the chest which forms the door of the supply chamber of breath. Thence I admit to the vocal cords uninterruptedly only just so much as I wish to admit. I must not be stingy, nor yet extravagant with it. Besides giving steadiness, the pressure against the chest, the controlling apparatus, establishes the strength and the duration of the tone. Upon the proper control depends the length of the breath, which, without interruption, rises from here toward the resonating chambers, and, expelled into the elastic form of the resonating apparatus, there must obey our will. It can now be seen how easily the vocal cords can be injured by an uncontrolled current of breath if it is directed against them in all its force. One need only see a picture of the vocal cords to understand the folly of exposing these delicate little bands to the explosive force of the breath. 
they cannot be protected too much, and also they cannot be too carefully exercised. They must be spared all work not properly theirs. This must be put upon the chest tension muscles, which in time learn to endure an out-and-out thump. The tremolo can also be produced by the false placement of the larynx, which is not always fixed close enough under the nose and chin, and being disunited with e and oo by means of y, it wobbles about alone. The only help here is the energetic placement of the larynx with a, which must be continually renewed by pronouncing the a vowel. Even the vibrato, to which full voices are prone, should be nipped in the bud, for gradually the tremolo, and later something even worse, is developed from it. Life can be infused into the tone by means of vowel mixing, a way that will do no harm. Vibrato is the first stage, tremolo the second, and much more hopeless, which shows itself in flat singing on the upper middle tones of the register. Referable in the same way to the overburdening of the vocal cords is the excessive straining of the throat muscles, which, through continual constriction, lose their power of elastic contraction and relaxation, because pitch and duration of the tone are gained in an incorrect way by forcing. Neither should be forced. Pitch should be merely maintained, as it were, soaring. Strength should not be gained by cramped compression of the throat muscles, but by the completest possible filling with breath of the breath form and the resonance chambers under the government of the controlling apparatus. Neglect of the head tones, overtones, is paid for dearly. The more violent exertions are made to force them and to keep them, the worse are the results. For most of the unhappy singers who do this, there is but one result. The voice is lost. How pitiful! If the first and second stages of tremolo are difficult to remedy, because the causes are rarely understood, and the proper measures to take for their removal still more rarely, the repair of the last stage of the damage is nothing less than a fight in which only an unspeakable patience can win the victory. End of section 18 Section 19. The Cure There are no magic cures for the singer. Only slowly, vibration upon vibration, can the true pitch be won back. In the word soaring lies the whole idea of the work. No more may the breath be allowed to flow uncontrolled through the wearied vocal cords. It must be forced against the chest always, as if it were to come directly out thence. The throat muscles must lie fallow until they have lost the habit of cramped contraction, until the overtones again soar as they should, and are kept soaring long, though quite piano. At first this seems quite impossible, and is indeed very difficult, demanding all the patient's energy. But it is possible, and he cannot avoid it, 
for it is the only way to a thorough cure. The patient has an extremely disagreeable period to pass through. If he is industrious and careful, he will soon find it impossible to sing in his old way. But the new way is for the most part quite unfamiliar to him, because his ear still hears as it has previously been accustomed to hear. It may be that years will pass before he can again use the muscles so long maltreated, but he should not be dismayed at this prospect. If he can no longer use his voice in public as a singer, he certainly can as a teacher, for a teacher must be able to sing well. How should he describe to others sensations in singing which he himself never felt? Is it not as if he undertook to teach a language that he did not speak himself, or an instrument that he did not play himself? When he himself does not hear, how shall he teach others to hear? The degree of the evil and the patient's skill naturally have much to do with the rapidity of the cure. But one cannot throw off a habit of years standing like an old garment, and every new garment, too, is uncomfortable at first. One cannot expect an immediate cure, either of himself or of others. If the singer undertakes it with courage and energy, he learns to use his voice with conscious understanding, as should have been done in the beginning and he must make up his mind to it that even after a good cure the old habits will reappear like corns in wet weather whenever he is not in good form physically. That should not lead to discouragement. Persistence will bring success. As I have already said, singers with disabled voices like best to try magic cures and there are teachers and pupils who boast of having effected such magic cures in a few weeks or hours. Of them I give warning, and equally of unprincipled physicians who daub around in the larynx, burn it, cut it, and make everything worse instead of better. I cannot comprehend why singers do not unite to brand such people publicly and put an end to their doings once for all. There is no other remedy than a slow, very careful study of the causes of the trouble, which in almost all cases consists in lack of control of the stream of breath through the vocal cords, and in disregard of the head tones, that is, of the overtones, as well as in forcing the pitch and power of the tone upon a wrong resonating point of the palate and in constricting the throat muscles. In these points almost invariably are all mistakes to be looked for, and in the recognition of them the proper means for correcting them are already indicated. The cure is difficult and tedious. It needs an endless patience on the part of the sufferer as well as of the physician, that is, of the pupil and the singing teacher, the only proper physician for this disease, because the nerves of the head are already sufficiently unstrung through the consciousness of their incapacity. Yet they should be able to act easily and without effort in producing the head tones. The repairing of a voice 
requires the greatest sympathetic appreciation and circumspection on the part of the teacher, who should always inspire the pupil with courage, and on the part of the pupil all his tranquillity, nervous strength, and patience in order to reach the desired goal. Where there is a will, there is a way. End of section 19